For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a delightful guest for you today and for me. I'm looking forward to this a lot. Um, she is a Renaissance woman, an actress, a coach, a poet, um, an author, a, uh, a, a, um, a playwright. I mean, I can't, I can't, I was just can't think of all the different things, but just to, I, and so what I'm going to actually have her do, because there was so much, um, is to kind of take us through, because she's had an incredibly interesting life. And is having. It's not over. <laughs> and um, and each of these books and each of her, the things that was she focused on, uh, actually is represented in each of these books. And, and then we can kind of get to have sort of a, a little bit of each part of her, just to kind of uh, mention a few things. She's been... Um, she was an actress in um, many television shows and motion pictures, including Rocky 1, 2, 5, and in Arachnophobia, True Identity, Coming Apart. And on television, she's been in ER, Murder, She Wrote, The Heidi Chronicles, Beverly Hills, 90210, Knott's Landing, Falcon Crest, and 79 Park Avenue. She also acted on Broadway in Richard III and Morning, Noon, and Night. And, um, and, and also, one of the things that she was commissioned by the Kennedy Center in Washington, D.C., to write and perform a one-woman play, Reminiscences of Mozart by his sister, which sounds incredibly fascinating. And uh, she also performed at Lincoln Center, um, that same play, and then also wrote and starred in Dear Nobody, which ran for a year in New York and was produced on CBS, and then toured all over the United States and London. And then also uh, Jane Avril. Uh, she, basically, she's been touring, touring and acting and coaching and <laughs> writing poems um, throughout her whole life. So, Jane, welcome to the show, first of all. Jane well, what a wonderful Rock. introduction. I'm, I'm so <laughs> pleased to be able to have said that I did all that so it can sound so great, and I'm, like, impressed because I'm constantly re- discovering my identity. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Jane Marler Robbins. So, Jane, why don't you start with um, taking us back to your childhood, uh, where you were born, everything. Like, how, what, what uh, inspired you to do all of these things and so on? 
my mother, hard to believe, named me Jane Marla Robbins because she thought it was a good name for an actress. <laughs> no, she was not an actress, but you're a shrink. You understand it is a good name. I was, I was wondering whether it was uh, a real name. <laughs> it is a good name for an actress. Very- I think she wanted to be an actress. She wanted to be a star. She wanted to shine. She wanted to have an identity. And suddenly here she was at 19 with a, you know, a kid. So, by some fluke, I also had some acting talent, or I was just so determined to get her attention that that's what I did. Mm -hmm. But what was the usual childhood trauma is, I think, expressing myself in characters, even if it was in an all-girls camp where I played Malvolio in Twelfth Night, or Richard II himself at a school in New York, I had all this passion, all this need to express the human condition. And also, I wanted my mother's attention, to be honest. And she would show up, although, again, nothing was simple, which perhaps um, explains why my writing was so important to me, because it wasn't simple. She wasn't just, you know, the backstage mother, go ahead, darling, I want you to succeed. She was jealous. She was unfulfilled. Mm. So each time she pushed me, she, you know, I kind of suffered. (laughs) And I'm very proud of some of the work that you you listed there. Uh, My one-woman show, I I guess what amazes and thrills me is the reaction of audiences and readers to my plays and my books. Uh, Poems of the Laughing Buddha, I'm just skipping ahead. The fact that people email me and say, I woke up depressed and I picked up your book again and it made me happy or I was laughing and I'm like, I don't know where that gift comes from. Oh, that's my father. Okay, he had a wonderful sense of humor. Uh And I think we all used it to survive. So I I love that I'm focused on laughter at this holiday season because it seems to be helping so many people. I have clients who come and, you know, are sad for whatever reason. And an acting technique can just turn that depression around because uh, obviously an actor can needs may show up at a theater. His mother could have died, and the next thing you know, he has to be on stage, looking and feeling self confident and joyful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that, so know, I skipped ahead, but as I mentioned to you briefly, as we said good morning just before the show went on the air, I was I'm reading a book by a man named Harvey Mindus, who actually taught me some psychology at Antioch, where I studied briefly. Except that then I wrote a play about Carl Jung's wife and mistress instead of becoming a, a Jungian psychologist. So what can I tell you? Um, but he talks about laughter and a sense of humor being non-linear, inventive, not the norm. That what makes us laugh is something unexpected. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I remember a teacher giving an example of that in school saying, um, what if I told you that um, a man slipped on a, be- on a banana peel? And, of mm. course, the class broke out in laughter. And mm. that was the point she was trying to make, that, you know, you didn't expect me to be talking about saying something like that. And so it's particularly funny. Surprise. I mean, it's what keeps us alive. I guess that's the thing I'm most passionate about. I've been teaching veterans acting techniques to help them with their job interviews. Mm. And I realize 
when people get jobs or when people sell a car, whatever the selling is, it's because they have that, that you have when you meet them or you hear them, a sen- you have a sense that they love their life, that they're living fully. And of course, I think that's what everybody really wants to do on this planet. You show up and like, wait, at the end of my life, can I say I lived fully? Can I say I understood joy and that I was fully myself? So, okay, anyway, have I digressed? Should we well, go back yeah, to my yeah, choice? Well, <laughs> doctor, no, good doctor. Uh, well, okay, let's, let's go back. First of all, <laughs> I find what you said originally about um, your mother who wanted to sort of live vicariously through you and push you to be a great actress, um, then the more successful you became, the more complicated that was because the more she was jealous of it. Yes. Sad so but now, true. But the good news is, or the yeah. odd news is, that when she, my father died Christmas Eve, hello, oh, wow. um, and then she married another man who had a dream for ending world poverty. And my mother, even though she seemed to be a huge women's liber and my father had forbid her to earn one penny, and she was mm. probably a very brilliant woman, she and her second husband uh, developed something called the Trickle Up Program, which they went to 104 countries and dealt with the poorest of the poor and would give them $50 to start a business. Five people had to have gotten together with a plan. And eventually she was in People Magazine because they raised millions of dollars from the Netherlands, from anyone she went up to. She asked for money for this because she always had a goal, and thank God the goal wasn't me then. It was this foundation, and it's, she's been dead six years, and it's still flourishing and helping people all over the world. So it's funny how... You know, ambition that gets stuck in us suddenly will get, maybe it was the sex of the second marriage that, you know, released the energy so she could creativity and be all that she could be. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Because, I mean, in a sense, and she wanted to ultimately, when she'd get up and give speeches to raise money for this organization, she too, like me, was interested in helping people. I mean, when I first wrote the book, Acting Techniques for Everyday Life, I thought, oh, goody, I'll be on, I was very naive, I'll be on talk shows, and then I'll be discovered, and then I'll be a star, and then my mother would love me, but I left that part of the equation out, because it took me a long time to realize that. Uh-huh. And I, ha- I sold a proposal or something to Macmillan, they gave me an advance, it was my first writer gig, and then they went bankrupt. And they took, it took me 10 years to find another publisher. And in those 10 years, here's how I changed. I suddenly realized that teaching acting techniques wasn't just to make a buck or to be on a talk show to be discovered as an actress. It was to help people. And that helped. That makes my life full of joy. When mm-hmm. I see people's lives change and get better and people get happier who are miserable, it, it, it makes my day. I mean, uh-huh. doctors can say that, that that's ego, altruism is only ego. <clears throat> I don't care. It still makes me feel good. It makes me want to get up in the morning. Uh-huh. Well, let's talk, that book is really fascinating. Let's talk uh, about it. Um, this, this is, you, you have, let me just read the, um, the categories, the, the 
chapter, <laughs> not the, um, the sections of the chapters, you know, there are chapters yes. underneath each of these. So prepare like an actor, nuts and bolts, techniques, um, more tricks of the trade, and real-life challenges. I was reading some of the real-life challenges, and that was, I think they're very good to sort of um, use as examples of what you mean in the earlier part of the book. Do, do you want to tell us some stories of people who you have helped in this way um, through the different acting techniques? Sure. Well, I'm going to start with sense memory, which is the first one of those nuts and bolts techniques. By the way, when I was trying to sell the book, um, a publisher, who shall not remain nameless, it's always so painful when anybody rejects me, and what if I had millions of auditions in my life? Anyway, she read the book. It was before I had added the thing I'm about to share with you. And she said, well, I'm sure you're a wonderful coach, but I can't believe these techniques work. (laughs) And so I went and I found scientific experiments that were being done all over the world proving that these were not, you know, oh, she's just a blonde, flighty actress with not a brain in her head. What (laughs) What a scam this is. No, no. Hospitals are using sense memory now. For Okay, here's a, one of my favorite studies. Harvard, UC Davis, had... Okay, let me tell you what sense memory is first and an example of it. Um, Marilyn Monroe, even, on the set of The Prince and the Showgirl, which was a movie she was producing and starring in with Sir Laurence Olivier, was she had, when they arrived in London, her first scene, she was so intimidated at the thought of working with this great classical actor that when the camera went on her, she totally froze. She had her acting coach with her, and Paula Strasberg said, oh, Marilyn, just use, in essence, sense memory. So you are going to be using Coca-Cola, so you'll use your senses. You'll maybe feel the bubble dip your nose. You'll taste how sweet it is. You'll feel what it is like going down your throat, or you'll smell it. Another sense memory she also used to substitute for Olivier, who was very angry at her, Frankie Sinatra, because Marilyn was having an affair with Frank Sinatra at the time. So just thinking about his body and who knows whatever they did, light lit her up like a Christmas tree. You see that opening scene? And the irony is she totally outshines Olivier Mm. in that movie. Mm. And that scene. So how do people use this in real life? Well, particularly at this holiday season, people come to me and, oh, I have to go to a party and I'm so shy and I don't know what to do. And I say, it's okay. You can just sit in the corner on a couch and use a sense of memory so that, for example, maybe she loves fresh baked rolls or sushi. She could imagine eating them or she could imagine her pet was sitting on her lap and feel sensorily the the fur on her pet's back or she could hear her favorite music. I have a, a piece by Chopin that I used to play on the piano. It always makes me happy. Who knows why? Who cares why? If it makes me happy... And the thing about parties or business meetings or, frankly, nobody wants to be with people who are depressed, really. It's catching. Right, we know that. Right. 
But there she, there, there you are thinking about something that makes you unbelievably happy. People feel that energy. And the wonderful thing about a technique like this is that it's a secret. Nobody knows what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, you're sitting there looking like a normal person. They don't know that your dog is licking your foot or whatever you're using. Uh-huh. So this sounds silly. This is the technique that um, Harvard Medical School actually studied. They had four groups. I'm mixing it up also with UC Davis because in both studies, they tried the doctor saying, here's what's going to happen. They tried a nurse holding the patient's hand. These were all non in these were all invasive high anxiety surgeries that did not require general anesthesia but only topical so the doctor the, the doctor could be there the nurse could be there another group were given music which also changes the brain waves but the group that got the guided sensory imagery in other words maybe it's the beach that calms somebody down this is amazing to me. Those groups that got the guided sensory imagery, that's what they call it in hospitals, they had less pain medication they needed. They had shorter hospital stays, less anxiety, less pain medicine. I mean, the whole thing seems extraordinary to me. And um, there was one other thing. Oh, so there, yes, less blood loss. Uh-huh. CCs. And the hospital well, stays for 28 hours less. Yes, yes. So I, 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 I guess what this, what this thrills me is that we have our own medical you know, yes. research team inside of us right, to right. find those things that make us feel strong and healthy or joyful. I mean, I've, I've, now I've been reading up on laughter. The physiological benefits of yes, laughter Marla, are Jane, Marla, we need to, we need to, I, I, you probably didn't hear the music, but we need to take no, a break No, no, I'm talking too loud. <laughs> Go, I guess we have a break here. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> it's all very exciting and, and, um, and empowering, but we do need to take a break. So I'm ready for a guest, break. I'm going to take a cough drop. Go. <laughs> <laughs> my guest is Jane Marla Robbins. Um, you've been hearing about, you know, as I said, she's a renaissance woman. You're beginning to hear about some of these different things. Uh, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And stay tuned because we will be right back. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the Terrorism Hotline. 
And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. Um, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We have been listening to Jane Marler Robbins, who is a Renaissance woman, an actress, an acting coach, uh, a general life coach. That's what we've kind of been talking about because of her, one of her books called Acting Techniques for Everyday Life. Um, also a poet and a playwright, um, and I've told you some of the things that she was, has been in. And um, today we're talking about specifically... Well, we'll talk a little bit about the poems in the different uh, the poetry books, but we're talking primarily about her book about acting techniques for everyday life because, uh, because you know, a lot of people don't understand that. I mean, I took these uh, techniques. I took acting lessons for a few years um, with Eric Morris in Hollywood. And <laughs> even though at the time, I mean, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I have done a little acting, nothing like you, but... Um, but it wasn't so much for acting as it was for doing television and, um, you know, performing. I mean, being a, being a talking head, being a host, all of that. So, so, uh, I know how these techniques, um, can serve somebody really well in whatever it is that they are going through in their life, whatever situation that they're in. I mean, <laughs> one of the ones, and I don't know. I don't know if this is in your book. I haven't read all of it because, but because I, I got all these four books at once. And uh, but 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 there was a technique that I used a lot that I learned in this acting class uh, called, <laughs> that that my the people I would show it to thought I was nuts, but it kind of worked. Um, it was called power where you, you bend down, you know, this would be done, for example, right before a performance, an acting performance or a television performance, whatever kind of performance. Um, you bend down, you can do this in the restroom. <laughs> you bend down and you, um, let the, you feel that you grab the power from the earth uh, with mm. your hands. You grab the power from, your earth, from the earth and you feel it building up in you and coming to the top of your head. And then you yell out... <laughs> And as loud a voice as you can. I mean, this, you know, in the bathroom, I guess, is, <laughs> is a little limited. But certainly, um, depending upon how, whether you care about that or not. Before you go out. <laughs> and then you raise your hands up to the sky, you know, and you yell, power, as loud as you can. And you keep doing this. 
so that you mm. keep get more, getting more and more powerful each time you do it. Is that something? I'm sure you've learned that acting technique. There are so many. I mean, that also reminds me of somebody who was very scared of men. She had been molested. And she and I worked on playing the lion, mm. which is not unlike that, that you feel, of course, lions have four, four legs, four feet where you can take the power from. Uh-huh. And then the roaring like power, the way you would scream like a human on two legs. And she suddenly felt in touch with her power. So she was able to go out with men. It's not like she roared at them and tried to bite them. <laughs> it's just that suddenly her body wasn't a victim's body anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Also, there's a chapter in the book about posture because, as modern science has shown us now, every single posture that our body takes creates a different chemical reality. So if you're playing the hunchback of Notre Dame or the elephant man or Bridget the Third and you're bent over, this will actually make you depressed. Mm. Just the way a sunken, you know, people's hearts have been broken and they're kind of bent over and their shoulders mm. are moving forward. On the other hand, again, it's a Harvard study. If the shoulders are not squeezing your heart area where courage resides. The word for courage comes from the French word heart. So right there, if you if one opens one opens if one opens one's heart, the chemicals that start flooding your body are all of self confidence. So if you're going into a meeting you want to make sure and that's all part of this psychophysical I was gonna say revolution, but the sad thing is a lot. People still don't believe there's a psycho-physical reality when we get sick. And I'm not trying to change anybody's belief system. All, I've, all I'm doing is saying that in real life, to know what physical posture creates what feeling is really useful. Yes, yes, absolutely. So tell us some other examples. Okay, so one of my favorites is... I'm thinking of a doctor who was most amusing in our sessions, and then he said he had to go to a, a business social gathering, and he just clammed up. And I th- he had a delicious sense of humor. And I remember asking him for if he had if he could invent or come up with a symbol for his sense of humor. And actually, it was something from a New Yorker cartoon or something years ago where there was a, I don't know if you remember, a Bigelow on the floor and there was this man screaming at some outrageous. It was always funny. And I said, well, you know, if you can take that image and put it on the floor wall and have it feed you. In other words, this was an archetypal image for him. It always made him aware of whatever the energy of his sense of humor was. It just came alive when he thought of that. Uh So he goes to these meetings now, and he sees that I also had him imagine it was in a little walnut in the middle of his heart. So its energy was actually pulsating, so he wouldn't forget. Because when he got scared, as all of us get scared, we contract and we forget, we forget because in the same way we would be terrified if a lion suddenly was rushing towards us, 
that fear response has the shoulders lifting up to the ears so that the neck is now squeezed so that, and we stop breathing in fear mm. so that there's no blood going to the brain so that his great sense of humor uh, was killed by his fear. But the relaxation that occurred when he just saw this crazy image. I mean, it could be Bugs Bunny. It does, going, that's all, folks. <laughs> that actually works for me. <laughs> now, obviously, these are techniques that I needed to learn myself, or I probably wouldn't have figured out they could help other people. As I say, we teach best what we most need to learn. So right. Bugs Bunny works for me. Uh-huh. I mean, you can tell I'm, uh, you know, I have a sense of humor. All the people who read these books of mine and email me, thank you, thank you for making me cheerful. And yet, when, I'm, when I go into my fear, I freeze too. So I have an arsenal, and that's what I suggest to my clients, and that's why there are like 40 techniques in the book, because one, like sense memory will work for one person, and this uh, magic walnut will work for someone else. The posture thing, another doctor, part of the preparation um, for an actor is... um, well, we do the, the physical body, we do the vocal body, we do the emotional body, we do mental. And I learned from one of my teachers suggesting a prayer as a preparation. Hmm. And um, <clears throat> this doctor, funny, this is a doctor and a nurse story. The doctor, I said, you can pray. And what was another Harvard, <laughs> another Harvard study talks about Actually, it was my doctor showed me. He took a drop of my blood on a slide, and we looked at it under a microscope. And then he had me just pray or meditate for a few minutes. And then he took mm. another drop of blood. And sure enough, the molecules that had been all bunched together suddenly were open after the prayer. Mm. So this nurse who now I know runs into the bathroom whenever she gets stressed in the hospital all she has to do is pray to God, or it doesn't, I mean, this other doctor said, well, I don't believe in God, so I can't do that. I said, well, there must be something where you feel a certain awe that there's some energy that's bigger than yourself. He said, well, yes, always when I give, when I help women deliver their babies. Uh-huh. So when he thinks of that, his whole body relaxes or surrenders or expands, and the joy of what a miracle means is in his being, which you ordinarily wouldn't connect with going to a business event, which would make him tight and uncomfortable and self-conscious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, now, um, uh, can you put... No, so, okay, so there are these four books, Poems of the Laughing Buddha, we can maybe save that for the end. Well, I, well, I was going to ask you. So then, the acting techniques for everyday life: Kathy Mimosa in Topanga, which I love, by the way, and, oh. and dogs in. I mean, I mean, I love your book, but I mean, I love the Cafe Mimosa. <laughs> you know the cafe actually? What? You, do you actually know the actual cafe? Yes, I've been there many times. Totally cool, right? <laughs> that that um, I mean, and that's the last Topanga. book, and frankly, I was going to write it. I, I, I fight always, oh, I shouldn't work alone. We're pack animals. It feeds us to be with other human beings. But I wrote a poem about the cafe, and I was with somebody who said, you know, I wrote a, I wrote a song about the cafe, and I thought, well, that'd be a cute book, a song and a poem. Mm-hmm. 
And at that point, I really thought I was going to leave Topanga, but I'm such a writer that I got all excited about writing the book. And of course, it's like 17 love poems to the cafe and to mm-hmm. Topanga and to the oddness and to the, actually the miracle of people coming together in one place. Um, and again, feeling better. And there was there's so many things, which, eh, what is the alchemy of, alchemy the right word, where you turn shit into gold, where you take loneliness mm-hmm. and suddenly you feel love and community and supported. And uh, after I finished the book, and I did, I did um, a reading for the book launch of some of the poems, and 80 people showed up in that tiny cafe. Oh, wow. And I went, and it's like, I'm not leaving Topanga now. <laughs> I have a community here. And I hadn't realized it. So also now, writing, book, I guess I'm always I writing about love because I think that's the most important thing. So which book came first? Can we, like, go in order here? Absolutely. absolutely. Which, which book came first? Okay, The Dogs in Topanga. And um, I, 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 as soon as I, when I moved to Topanga, after actually a fire, I going to say this because I know so many people have just now lost their homes in this huge fire. I lost my home in 2000. I wrote an essay about it. And it's on my website and people who have lost their homes somehow find it and then write me to say, thank you, you gave me strength. Mm. So I, I don't know, I, I just threw that in there. Yeah, well, I'll be giving the, your website address um, at the end. Um, but, okay. But so, so you um, lived, But you lived originally, you were born originally in, on the East Coast. New York, Manhattan. Okay. And, and how, when did you move um, west or to Topanga? Okay, well, let's see. In 1974, I did that one-woman show again, The Dear Nobody, again a love story, but based on some 18th century English journals. And I was sent a ticket from the University of Riverside, and I was also invited to do it at Royce Hall at UCLA. It had gotten rave reviews in New York, so suddenly I was out here. And Uh as I had said, since I was determined to be a star, because my mother might notice me, um, here I was in movie land, and uh-huh. it turned out that though I had starred on Broadway, it looked like you had now to have a movie or television star name in order to star on Broadway. So here I was. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then ironically, in the middle of all that, the Kennedy Center commissioned that one-woman play about Mozart's sister. I mean, it's, it's ironic, right? We make plans, and then God's laughing, and uh-huh. we have some... So and that, yeah, that's a love story also. It's about a brother and sister because Mozart and his sister were co-performers and geniuses when they were small kids together. Hmm. But there was not room for a, a woman who suddenly grew up to be looking like a grown-up when you had this cute little short guy named Wolfgang. Huh. And the father said to Marianne, no, you can't, you can't play with him anymore. But her story is fascinating. Anyway, that's the story about the oh, show that, that I did for the Kennedy Center. And then again, I did it at, as part of the Mozart Festival in New York, followed by the New York Philharmonic, which is pretty amazing. By the way, it's almost 40, uh, um, you know, 140. So if I'm going to be talking too loud and I want to hear the music, I thought I'd let okay, you know well, I was actually you know, conscious of that. Had to because be um, the, the um, Mozart play, the story, story about his sister, seem, is particularly relevant today. The whole issue of, uh, uh, you know, women being angry that men are, some women being angry yes. that men are 
um, have outstaged them, uh, no less, you know, sexually harass them or abuse them or whatever. But, um, so, I mean, that's a, so it's a very timely kind of piece again. Have you been thinking maybe of bringing it out? Um, in the year 2000, I decided I didn't want to act anymore. I would love another actress to do it, absolutely, because it's very touching. But suddenly I got this awareness that I had spent my whole life being other people brilliantly. I mean, I remember playing Eleanor Roosevelt in something and then meeting someone in the lobby after, and they're like, were you in that? <laughs> it's like, huh. well, I played Eleanor Roosevelt. But huh. whatever that gift is, is, and it was, wasn't that I was wearing buck teeth or you know, I changed my face with cotton balls. It's that whatever it means to play a character was always something that was easy for me. I could transform myself. Well, people see the Rocky movies, and I'm the pet shop owner in, in all three of them that I was yes, in. Yes, I was going to ask you what you played. Okay, I saw it a while ago. I don't know that I could remember that. No, um, it was a small scene, but the people who remember it, maybe because Sylvester Stallone is in there buying turtle food and falls in love with somebody who works for me there. Oh, um, okay. They're like... You were in that? I just thought they used the regular pet shop owner. <laughs> it's like, no, it's called acting. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> no, in 2000, I suddenly went, you know, I hear uh, the music. Yes, yes, very good. good. Okay. <laughs> well, we will leave people on a cliffhanger there. Okay. And <laughs> we will come back. My guest um, is Jane Marla Robbins. And as you certainly have been seeing as the show has been going on, she is truly a Renaissance woman and a very uh, a smart and intuitive and um, creative woman at that. So keep listening. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you streaming live the leader in internet talk radio voiceamerica.com 
Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with a charming guest today, Jane Marla Robbins, who has been regaling us with her uh, life and her, and it's... um, and each of its little kernels of joy, from actress to playwright, well, I don't know, I'm not going to say two, two, because I'm still confused about what came first, but, um, <clears throat> but you, when, we, when we left, um, you were starting to talk about how in 2000, you decided um, that you didn't want to act anymore, you were tired of playing other people, and you wanted to play yourself, so take us from there. It wasn't, I had already been coaching people, everyone, because uh, I had this huge success in New York, everyone was so surprised that if I wanted to make additional income, surely I would start an acting school for actors, but there was something deep inside of me that knew I didn't want to help people become anybody else, that, that, that certainly my mission for myself was to become Jane Marla Robbins. I love that story where somebody's going to heaven, and the, the deal is not that God is going to say to me, say, Jane, why, aren't you more, why weren't you more like Mother Teresa? He's going to say, why weren't you more like Jane Marla Robbins? Mm, mm-hmm. So that was yeah. my quest. And then, so um, actually... In 2000, having made that decision, I took a trip, like a dividing, I went to, to, on safari, I thought this was, was cleanse everything, I'd come back, I'd be a writer, and literally, Dr. Mm-hmm. Carroll, the next morning I got a knock on my door in Topanga saying, your house is on fire, leave by the back door, and all my scripts and costumes and props burned. Oh my God. I was a writer, and that's when I wrote my article and was paid to write an essay for the LA Times. Life is huh. funny, huh? <laughs> so then I was a writer. I couldn't believe it. And out of, and I love that, that out of the pain, like the phoenix out of the ashes, the decision to, to, to write. Now I was making money as a writer. Of course, I had made money as a playwright. You said when was which came first? That was an astute question. I was bossing my poor little sister around as as soon as she could stand writing plays Hmm. when we were growing up. And I think playing, uh, playwriting, acting, probably everything we do is an attempt to feel some control over a life where we ultimately perhaps do not have as much control as we wish. Right. Like. Oh, there's a fire. <laughs> Oops. Gee, I hadn't planned for that. Okay, so that was my turnaround. And then in 2003, I published the Acting Techniques for Everyday Life book. And um, that's been a joy. And um, then I, I think a lot of this... Something in me needs to write, needs to be a poet. When I was 25, I had written some poems about, I, I am a circus, that's what they were called. And I sent six or seven into the National Endowment of the Arts hmm. so that I would get a poetry grant. And I was a finalist. Now, at 25, I did not know that there were published poets who had won many awards who didn't even make finalists. I assumed it meant I had no talent as a poet, and I stopped writing poetry. Oh, wow. And so it was with great joy. Actually, I had a, a benign tumor, I found out, in my neck 
into eight years ago, whatever that is. And I thought, well, gee, if it's, you know, if it's not benign and that means my life is going to be over soon, what do I want to do? And it turned out there was a book of poems about Topanga, and that's where I focused my energy before the operation. And then I was so happy I was alive and it was benign, I bought myself a laughing Buddha, and I, as a discipline, told myself to write a poem a day with this Buddha who's endlessly laughing as inspiration, and then a catalog said they wanted to sell it. So I felt, okay, I have an audience. I guess it's okay. And as we were saying, it makes people smile, which makes me so happy. Oh, wow. So, huh. So then you realize that uh, being a finalist didn't mean that you weren't a good poet. (laughs) Right. I mean, I did feel I had missed like, you know, 50 years of possibly (laughs) honing my art, but I had done other things. And in many ways, as I told my mother on her deathbed, it was okay that I became an actress because in many ways it did save my life when I was doing it. Because in our household, we were not allowed to express feelings. And, of course, as an actress, they even pay you for it. <laughs> they pay you for sobbing. They pay you for getting angry. But believe me, in my house, it was too dangerous to be angry. And I know I'm not alone in that. Mm. Um, people are so afraid of anger, as they should be if it's not controlled, as you know. Mm-hmm. Huh. And, and what did your mother say to you? I mean, like, did she say... You know, uh, I wish you would you know, have continued that, being interesting an you ask that. Say, I don't know why I'm sharing this story, but it was astounding to me. What happened is she was she had been in a kind of coma for three days, and I flew to New York, and I we thought she was near death. She wasn't talking. She wasn't opening her eyes, and I got an intuition to go in the middle of the night. There was a nurse who was presumably there was going to tell me when she was near death and I'd just get in a taxi and show up. But she wasn't answering her phone, so I was alarmed. I got in a cab, and I was alone with my mother for two minutes, and suddenly out of my mouth came the words, it's okay, Ma, you know, that I was an actress. It probably saved my life. She opened her eyes. She let out a sound like a shofar, the the ram's horn. Uh-huh. And I knew we were good, and two, two hours later she was dead. Oh, wow. So it was, um, I don't know, everybody, of course, doesn't have such resolution with people, but I feel very blessed to have had that insight and be able to feel such total forgiveness and even, you know, enough... Um, you know, hawk vision, enough distance from the whole event of my acting to realize how it had been a life-saving activity for me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I could move on to acting or writing or, you know, I mean, uh, poetry or coaching or... Mm-hmm. So uh, people come a long way. Forgiveness, it's interesting, I'm talking about the overview, and as I mentioned, I've been, when I thought this was going to be an interview on laughter, and I was looking up all of these facts on laughter, um, Harvey Mindis' book, he talks about the overview that humor allows us to enjoy and how it saves so many people. Yes. Well, talking about humor, 
Um, yes. One of your poetry books, I guess maybe, well, they're all kind of, the dog's one is funny too. <laughs> um, but why don't you pick something from the poems of the Laughing Buddha? Um, okay. Okay, I'm going to pick a short poem from that, and I'm going to pick a short from, from um, okay, I'm going to pick, just, this is, where is that funny, silly poem? Oh, now I have to, this is Which for one women. It's called Wrinkles, and I don't know why I think it's funny, but wait, the page number is 43. I was 43. Okay. Here we go. Wrinkles many women I know have facelifts to tighten their cheeks and eliminate the lines around their mouth and chin. I have my share of lines as well, but pay somebody to cut me up, na 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 na, ha 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 ha, when all I need to do is smile and all those wrinkles disappear. That's yes. that poem. That's in uh, Poems of the Laughing Buddha. You know, what I really like about this book um, is that is the relationship that you have with the Buddha. Um, mm. oh, you yeah, know, he how... my teacher. No, yes. no question about it. Um, he, again, this overview we were talking about, uh, it doesn't matter what happened. I looked outside and there he is laughing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. No matter what is going on. Um, it's like, okay, rooster. Yesterday I bought a metal rooster for my garden. I'm going to do a shortened version of that. The bird is painted black. He has white spots for feathers. This afternoon, I see my bird's been toppled by the wind um, so that its beak is pecking at my Buddha's shoulder. And Buddha is laughing, tickled pink. <laughs> I mean, I just, like, it doesn't matter what happens. He somehow takes the high road or the funny view or the. Yeah. Okay, a yes. quick one from Dogs in Topanga. How about that? Okay. Everybody's favorite. It's called dogs, and it says, happy. They are naturally happy. They naturally wag their tails and are happy. Can't we learn anything from dogs? Are we that stupid? We can put men into space, fly an airplane through one of the tallest buildings in the world, and we can't learn to wag our tails like a dog? (laughs) Yes. Yes, no, it's no you wonder always that... point to that poem because I think it resonates with a deep part of us that knows our innate nature is joyful. Mm-hmm. Babies, four-year-olds laugh 500 times in a day. Grown-ups, 15. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, yes. a lot, I think the trick is how do you retain that enthusiasm, that joy, and I guess that's what I found from the dogs that inspired that poem. And, and from just, I'm, I'm, I'm standing here in my little house looking out at this statue of Buddha, and he's laughing. Yes. <laughs> well, are um, you nervous about a radio interview? Nah, laugh. I mean, he <laughs> is just joyful. And it's uh-huh. not that I'm, you know, the, 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 the guru yogi who's laughing all the time. I have one in New York who loves to think that that's his... His essence is laughter. I think it's everybody's essence is to feel joy and celebrate life. Even when, you know, when my house burned down, people would say, oh, you'll come out like the phoenix, and you want to punch them because you're in shock and you're grieving. But finally, it's amazing. You know, here I am again. 
mm-hmm. um, in a house of the Laughing Buddha. And still and, in Topanga. Um, <laughs> I survived. I have my arms, my legs, mm-hmm. a dog, whatever I want here. Well, I yeah. want to make sure <laughs> that we give out your website. So let's do that because on her website you can find out a lot more about her books, each of these books. And um, you can also, you know, find out. <laughs> I mean, I know I mentioned it, but it's sort of the, I was. It's all over the place. All of the different accomplishments that she's made. So you can kind of read that and, uh, you know, spend a little more time on that uh, to think about that. And um, and what else? And oh, and also, of course, you can read about where she does her coaching and her uh, different lectures that she's given, her workshops and all that, um, all over. Um, essentially all over the world. So um, that's another thing that I didn't really mention, speaking in workshops. So um, Jane Marla Robbins, <laughs> thank you so much for um, being who you are. I mean, I think, you know, the, I think the word that comes to mind is sprightliness, that, um, that you know, going from one thing to the other and um, kind of making these decisions or kind of having, them, having the universe make them for you and... Um, and and then making something positive and beautiful in that part part of your life, so um, that is really a, a uh, an inspiration. Well, you're an inspiration because I got to talk for fifty five minutes about this stuff and and be focused on the joy, which is a great joy. So thank you. Not everybody can inspire that. So we know you are unusual and gifted. In that well, area, which is very valuable to the entire world. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Uh, oh, wait, did I actually, did, did I? Did no, JaneMarlowRobbins.com. That's yes, my uh, website. I, well yes, I said, we, I said we have to do it, and then I didn't do it. JaneMarlowRobbins.com. Jane, M-A-R-L-A, Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jane, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 